Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining us as always. It finally feels like this is finally a lull or a slow period in the NFL Rookie mini camps, OTAs, regular mini camps, all have come and passed, and most teams now have break apart and are not going to reconvene until training camps kick off late July. That last week of July, rookies report, then the veterans report, and then we're talking about starting the preparation about two weeks or so before their first preseason game to really kick things into high gear. So we've had a bunch of guests on recently. If you miss any of those episodes, highly recommend going back, listen to the episode uh, 274 with Mike Clay, 275 with Matt Harmon, and then most recently with Sigmund Bloom. Really excellent content, guys, in all of those episodes. I know in the episode of Matt Harmon, we really dug deep into this year's wide receiver class, but really spent probably more than half the episode also talking about last year's wide receiver class. Matt has put them through reception perception. If you're interested in that, you can uh, – Go to receptionperception.com and purchase all his detailed 
profiles on that. I think it's a part of the Fantasy Football Outsiders Ultimate Draft Kit. Great material there. But it was really intriguing listening to him talk about expectations for this upcoming year for the second-year guys, the Dante Pettises, the James Washingtons, the Christian Kirks, the Calvin Ridleys, the DJ Moores, and we also threw in there Curtis Samuel. So really intrigued by that analysis. So make sure if you haven't listened to the Matt Harmon episode, you get back and listen to that. The Mike Clay one, obviously no one does better projections than, than Mike Clay for ESPN. So really interesting to hear his take on how he thinks these rookies are going to adjust in the short term and maybe who he's thinking long-term could have impact as well. And then the most recent episode with Sigmund Bloom, really analyzing a lot of big storylines with these rookie prospects. How high is the ceiling for Kyler Murray? Something I'm going to talk about a little bit tonight in my episode. You know, the running back situation between, you know, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, the next tier after that. How much stock do we put into the teams that drafted these guys who have stability and seem to get the most out of their prospects and know how to develop prospects? We talked about the tight ends, you know, our concerns about maybe Noah Fan and how quickly he transitions. We talked about TJ Hawkinson, you know, and Sigmund has some concerns about that Detroit offense, uh, you know, and how much he can be utilized early on. You know, we talked about the wide receivers and who's some guys that, you know, we think are going under the radar a little bit and not getting enough attention as potentially being game changers, who we'd want more from the Arizona you know, rookie wide receiver group who would want more from the Baltimore wide receiver group. So a lot of great content in those past three episodes. So if you missed any of those episodes, highly recommend getting, uh, going back and listening to any of those three. So what I'm going to do tonight is a little bit different, a little solo episode. And I figured with this lull period, it's a good time to kind of take some stock report on these rookies from what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've gathered in these rookie mini camps, in these OTAs, the reports coming out from beat writers, whether it's directly about the rookies or potentially about, you know, veterans or other players on the roster that impact, you know, what we may think of these rookies, comments from quarterbacks, stuff like that. So I'm going to do a little bit of a rookie stock report, you know, as we transition here to the next phase of the NFL calendar where nothing goes on for about five, six week period until, you know, we get to late July and then the training camps open up. So most of these rookie mini camps and mini camps and OTAs have been done now for about a week or two. So we're talking about a five, six week period where there really is no new information coming out in terms of stuff that happened on a football field. We might hear some things from beat reporters and stuff like that, expectations and stuff like that. But, you know, these players have, you know, left the facilities for the most part, you know, and and they're away. And, you know, and now is the one time of the year where things seem to be a little bit more on the quiet side. You know, as we talked with Sigmund a couple episodes ago in terms of there really is no offseason anymore. It's 365, 24-7. We can analyze and talk about these guys. But this is probably the month where the least amount of information is out there. But there's still so much to digest, and that's what we've been doing here since the NFL draft, you know, took place. You know, now we're talking about, you know, two full months ago, you know, late April, and here we are sitting in late June, you know, and there's still so much to kind of break down. And I know 
personally my own dynasty rookie rankings if you have the you know the the premium notebooks and you check out my rankings notebook they have changed a lot since draft weekend you know they changed a lot in the first week or two post draft but now as time has passed as i digested more information you know i i've kind of maybe some rash decisions that i made in the moment in that first you know weekend or first week or two after the draft you know things kind of settle back in i think and and you know, I know me personally. I, I take into all, I take all the information I gather, I hear, I listen to, but I don't lose focus of also, you know, draft capital in terms of you know what I thought about these guys pre-draft in terms of long-term upside. Because when it comes to all the positions besides running back, I am looking in a long-term window when we're talking about fantasy and we're talking about dynasty running backs. That's in a much short window, a two to three-year window. But in terms of the other positions, I'm thinking more long-term and I'm looking more for ceiling. I'm looking more for upside, who can hit on it, you know, and, and I, as I get away from the draft, I try not to get bottled down as much in opportunity or who's the quarterback, because those things are going to change. And, and, I, and I'll get into that a little bit tonight in terms of, you know, some stock up, stock down stuff for some of these rookies. So that's going to kind of what I'm going to do here. Let's start the quarterback position. And I don't think there's a lot to really dissect here. And with the guests I've had on, we've kind of talked about them. It's basically the same guys. The, the one thing I will say is I'm going to continue to say stock up on Kyler Murray. I know me personally in my own rookie big board, I've moved them all the way up to number four. And that's even for one quarterback leagues. I think there's an opportunity for Kyler Murray to have the best statistical season from any rookie quarterback in the history of the NFL. I think there's a capability of this guy to quickly become a top four or top five consistent fantasy quarterback producer. I wouldn't be surprised. I know Sig Bloom, when he was on, said he had been had him as his number five quarterback for this year. I don't think it's outrageous. I know I've been trying to get Kyler Murray in best ball drafts that I'm doing. And, you know, I'm willing to take him over guys that are that are safer because I'm, I'm betting on the upside and, and I'm willing to, you know, put in the risk a little bit. And I even think in rookie drafts, I think, you know, this wide receiver class, which I'll get to in a little bit, it, it is really still impossible to kind of rank and category categorize these guys. If some of these guys develop into, you know, wide receiver ones or high end wide receiver twos, then sure, they they should be ahead of Kyler Murray, the quarterback in the one quarterback league. But I'm not sure any of these guys are slam dunks to get there where I'm pretty confident Kyler Murray is going to be a top 10 to top 12 fantasy quarterback. And I think that's the, I think that's his absolute floor. I think the ceiling is QB one, QB two, like, you know, in terms of upside, you know, in, in the year or two with the running ability and the passing ability to scheme the marriage of all those things together. So I, I do think he shouldn't be pushed down even in a one quarterback league. I think he should go, you know, mid first round, you know, after the running backs, maybe somebody wants to put Nikhil Harry there, but we'll, I'll talk about him a little bit more in, in a little bit, but I think Murray's upside and floor make him a really unique quarterback when it comes to fantasy and in a rookie class that I don't think there's a lot of standouts and stars. I think, I think he's well-deserving of, of going earlier than I think some people have him in their rookie rankings and their overall rookie big board. So Murray stock up on him, everything we've heard, everything we've seen, he's going to be out there. 
I, I think he's going to put on a show this year. The Cardinals defense is really poor. So I, I think it's one of those things that everything is set up for him perfectly. And I think his stock is still clearly up. Other quarterbacks, I don't think there's been a lot of news. I think, you know, I think we could say that stock up on Daniel Jones. I mean, maybe the reason it's stock up is because the expectations were so low. I think that is a valid point to make that most people, you know, myself included, thought he was an early second round pick, you know, in that Ryan Tannehill mold, you know, maybe the upside of Kirk Cousins if everything hit, but much more Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton. I, I talked about that on the football guys live round one discussion when I was on it. I've talked about on Saturday, Sunday a lot that that's who I thought he was that Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton type, obviously a giant's got pretty much crucified across the board after selecting Daniel Jones because people had questions on him, but all reports since the draft from rookie minicamp from, you know, OTAs from minicamp reports have came out from people at NFL network, you know, ESPN, that he's looked absolutely fantastic that, you know, Pete Prisco of CBS sports was that one of the giants things and wrote a whole article talking, you know, about Daniel Jones and how good he looks, you know, and how happy the giants are with him. Chris Mortensen had something, you know, from ESPN, uh, the good morning football show, uh, Kyle Brandt had a discussion about Daniel Jones recently and everything that people are hearing is that he is surpassed expectations for the giants questions about his arm strength. Don't seem to have lingered for very long at all. That seems to be a question he has answered. So the question becomes is how long do the giants remain loyal to Eli Manning? I think that's still up for debate. But I do think the early reports on Daniel Jones are more up, you know, more optimistic and have the Giants fans, I think, are a little bit more excited than what they were on draft weekend or leading up to the draft. And he does have that running component. So in fantasy, that is a little bit of a wild card. So I will say since draft weekend, I think stock up on Daniel Jones. I could understand in the fantasy spectrum someone leapfrogging Dwayne Haskins with Daniel Jones. Now, I do think Dwayne Haskins is going to get in the field a little quicker. But if their passing production, you know, favors Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones' athleticism and running ability is going to make him more valuable in the fantasy landscape. So unless you're convinced that Daniel Jones is going to kind of bust out and maybe not be a long-term starter – or you think Dwayne Haskins is going to be really, really good, like an elite level type quarterback in fantasy, they're probably right around the same range. And I think it's a pick your preference type thing. Because if you think, you know, Dwayne Haskins with no running ability, I think, you know, best case scenario, he falls eventually into that, like, you know, QB8 to QB12 range if everything hits, kind of like where we've seen guys, you know, like Matt Ryan earlier in his career, not recently, where he's had a couple top three or top five finishes in fantasy. Guys like him, Phillip Rivers, you know, and, you know, guys like that. That's best case scenario for Dwayne Haskins. You know, Ben Roethlisberger's had some years in that range, but that, that would mean that he's a big time elite level type talent. If he doesn't reach that, he probably ends up being like a QB 15, like a QB 12, a QB 13, like somewhere in that Kirk Cousins, you know, good Andy Dalton years. You know, so 
for fantasy, Daniel Jones doesn't have to be as good as Dwayne Haskins as a passer, but I do think the running capabilities make up for some of that. So I do think those guys, I think, I don't think it's a stock up or stock down on Dwayne Haskins. I think for him, it's been about neutral. I think Kyler Murray stock up. I think Daniel Jones, a little bit stock up. I will say Drew Locke, probably a little bit of a stock down. I don't think people were expecting much, but I think maybe we would have thought maybe we heard a little bit more buzz similar to Daniel Jones. We haven't really heard that out of anything with Denver with Drew Locke. When, when Sig Bloom was on, I asked him. Obviously, he's got a lot of strong connection to Cecil Lammy, who's gets, you know, is around the Broncos a lot. And, you know, for the most part, you know, this year, they're looking at this as a complete redshirt year that it's Flacco's team. They're excited for Flacco. So, I would say from draft weekend, probably a little stock down on Drew Locke. So that's kind of that's kind of really it with the quarterbacks. I mean, there really hasn't been any much movement in terms of stock up, stock down on any other guys. Will Greer is still the most intriguing next because Cam Newton, you know, his shoulder, his arm, but you know, reports seem to seem to be that Cam is going to be ready to go. Jared Stidham in New England. If we knew Brady had a set timeline, I think that would be a little bit more intriguing you know, in terms of Stidham and then Ryan Finley in Cincinnati, you know, is this Andy Dalton's last year in Cincinnati? If it is, will Ryan Finley get an opportunity, you know, down the line to potentially emerge as a starter there? I think those are the remaining questions at the quarterback position after the big four guys. So let's say this to the running back position. I don't think it's a stock up or down, I would say neutral on Josh Jacobs. He should be the first or, you know, I think the first rookie selected in any type of setting, you know, except, you know, super flex or two quarterback. Then I think it should be Kyler Murray and, and Josh Jacobs should come off the board at two. But Josh Jacobs, you know, he's going to be a bell cow running back this year. So, you know, there's been some reports that that's what they want to use them. So if you hadn't heard those reports, maybe you say stock up because you're less concerned about his, you know, workload and how much he's going to see. I think the guy's going to average 18 touches a, a game, somewhere in that 16 to 18 range. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to, he's going to get, you know, 14, 15 rushing attempts. He's going to get three to four pass looks a game, I think. So I think Josh Jacobs is going to be a bell cow running back for the Raiders. I think he's going to see somewhere in that 16 to 18 touch range, some games even more than that, I think. So I, I think stock is up on, Josh Jacobs. So that is, you know, in that regard, in terms of maybe his workload and him getting a lot of touches. But I don't think anything's really happened since the, you know, weekend of the draft that really dramatically changes feelings on Josh Jacobs. In terms of Miles Sanders, I think it, it would be unrealistic. And, and if I didn't say stock down, I mean, he's been injured. He's been battling, an, you know, an, an injury. They, they say that they've been playing it, you know, conservative but at the same time the eagles have a lot of guys in that backfield they traded for jordan howard they still have the backs from last year wendell smallwood darren sproles is still there so it has to be a stock down for miles sanders at the moment it just is because i think most people wanted him to kind of hit the ground run fast and maybe seize that backfield all to himself i have a hard time with him you know, potentially seizing that backfield early on. Is it something that over the course of the year, maybe he does? Sure. But I think this year it could be much more of a committee than maybe we thought that first, you know, weekend of the NFL draft. So I do think 
I, I do think that is something, uh, you know, that we should take into consideration. I don't think it really impacts his dynasty value too much in terms of this rookie class, but I do think, uh, in the short term, Miles Sanders is, is stocked down at least since draft weekend in terms of, you know, the news that has came out with the injury and, and everything else surrounded that. Philly, obviously a great offense, a lot of young pieces there. But they have guys in that backfield, and they traded for Jordan Howard. So, you know, I do think the injury is slowing his development down in terms of him seizing that backfield. So I would say a little bit of stock down. David Montgomery, I would say a little bit, a little bit stock up since draft weekend because I think there's been enough, you know, news out there that they do envision a big role for him. You know, in the in the post presser, you know, they talked about they, you know, they really targeted him they aggressively moved up for him they think he can play on all three downs so i do think stock up on david montgomery i think his short-term value is strong i know sig on the last episode was talking about he has some concerns about you know how much he has a role because mike davis is the guy he likes i like mike davis i think he's a solid back but i do think they invested highly in david montgomery for a reason and Matt Nagy can look at him and, and, and kind of envision him as a Kareem Hunt-like player. I do think Tariq Cohen is going to still get his looks, but I would say I think stock up right now on Montgomery since draft weekend in terms of what the Bears have been talking him up as. Darrell Henderson, it would be impossible not to say stock up on Darrell Henderson because every the more information that comes up about Todd Gurley, I would say the more concerns – that people have, whether it's arthritis, whether it's he's not going to be a bell cow anymore. You know, there's been reports from all different people, from Ian Rappaport to many other people to Todd Gurley's trainer, you know, talking about it, you know, the arthritis. So I think that is all stock up for Darrell Henderson. I've moved Darrell Henderson all the way up to fifth on my rookie big board. I now have the four running backs and Kyler Murray that make up my top five. Because like I talked about, and I'll talk more about the wide receivers, I don't know for – I don't have a strong sense that any of these guys are going to be top 12 fantasy wide receivers ever in their career or be those solid wide receiver ones. I think some of them could be wide receiver twos. I think there's going to be a lot of wide receiver threes. But I don't see anybody right now having the upside to, to be a top 10 or top 12 wide receiver in you know within the next couple of years. These running backs, I think in the opportunity that they potentially have in front of them, whether it's this year or in the next year or so, I do think these guys could develop into running back ones and, and put up statistical you know, production as RB1s, whether it's Darrell Henderson in that Rams offense, whether it's David Montgomery playing the role of Kareem Hunt, whether it's in a year from now, Miles Sanders does take over 60, 70% of the workload in Philadelphia. And then obviously Josh Jacobs. Like I think those guys could legitimately put up RB1 numbers. So with that, I'd rather, I think, take the running backs than, than the wide receivers. I know the wide receivers is the more long-term play, but I, I just think the wide receivers is such a jumbled mess. I'd feel more comfortable taking any of the running backs and or Kyler Murray ahead of the wide receivers right now. A couple other running backs, Justice Hill and Damian Harris. I'll say stock up on Damian Harris because the Sony Michelle injury, you know, he had a get something, a procedure done on his knee. We haven't seen him at all during OTAs or, or mini camp. So, you know, there's 
Patriots beat reporters talking about Damian Harris potentially, you know, playing a lot on early downs, goal line. All of that is bad news for Sony Michelle. Most of the guests I've had on in the pre in the post draft months here have talked about their concerns about Sony Michelle, you know, potentially selling him in Dynasty. I know I owe him in a couple spots. I just don't know if he's ever going to get the opportunity to be a guy that plays in the passing role. They have such specialized roles there. So if he's never going to expand there, and now they're Damian Harris is going to cut into his workload either on early downs or, or goal line situations, I think Damian Harris could have a role much earlier than maybe I expected on draft weekend. So I think stock up on him. Justice Hill, I think it's been probably about neutral on him. I was hoping that maybe we would hear some more positive stuff about Justice Hill. I don't think we have yet. I'm still waiting to see that in in training camp and preseason because I still believe that Justice Hill has the capability to be a Philip Lindsay-like player. That once he gets on the field, he's just going to make things happen and they're not going to want to get him off the field nearly as much as maybe their initial plan was. And I don't think... You know, I always say all touches aren't created equal. Justice Hill's touches are not going to be the same as other people's touches. So if he gets, you know, eight touches to nine touches, 10 touches, if he lives in that world of eight to 11 touches, you know, I still think he can be fantasy viable early on, even in his rookie year. And I still think down the line, he could even work his way into maybe that 12 to 14 touch range. I don't think he's ever a guy who's going to be, you know, a workhorse or, or be a, you know, a heavy volume guy. But if he eventually gets to a place where he gets in that 12 to 14, 11 to 13, he could still be an impactful, you know, RB2, RB3 type player in the fantasy spectrum. And he's a big play threat. So I would still say probably neutral on Justice Hill. Some other running backs I want to talk about a little bit. I would probably say Alexander Madison, probably a stock up. There seems to be enough reports of people since the the, the draft weekend that people are high on Madison. Vikings envision a role for Madison in addition to Dalvin Cook. All the reports out of Minnesota are that they want to be a very – run heavy offense and Dalvin cook has had some injury issues in the past. So I could see Madison having a role. Maybe it's, you know, 30% of the touches, you know, and cook handle 70, you know, even with that, there still could be a role for Alexander Madison. And then if Dalvin cook goes down with the, the commitment to the run game there, I do think Madison is a guy who late second round, early third round rookie pick. I think that's kind of the spot for Alexander Madison, you know, even in redraft leagues, high-end handcuff for Dalvin Cook or late round, you know, bench stash to kind of see how that plays out. Devin Singletary, I would probably say probably stock neutral. I don't think there's been a lot of excitement about him. I know I still have my reservations. I don't think anything's happened in the months post-draft here. There's been no real reports that he is, you know, really took the backfield over in terms of making big plays on a regular basis. They have a bunch of veterans there. Singletary is going to have to kind of wait his turn out. So I think he's a guy that is pretty neutral since draft weekend. I don't think it's really, you know, changed too much. And then after that, it's really just all the the handcuff guys, the Raquel Armsteads, you know, the Tony Pollards, the, the Benny Snells, you know, I think all of those guys are about the same as what we thought about them on draft weekend. I still like Raquel Armstead a lot. I still think he's a high-end handcuff to Leonard Fournette and could get an opportunity, but I don't think anything's changed over the last two months with Leonard Fournette that makes me more or less excited about Raquel Armstead. Tony Pollard, same thing. 
it'll be interesting to kind of see their role for him. Do they do they envision him as being like a traditional backup to Ezekiel Elliott and be a pass catching threat or a versatile offensive weapon, or do they just have that role for him? So I think right now it, it's to be determined with Tony Pollard until we see training camp and see until we see preseason games and maybe see the role that Dallas envisions for him. It's hard to tell. I mean, I know there's there's touches for sure, rushing and receiving behind Ezekiel Elliott up for grabs, but we just we're not sure yet what their ultimate plan is for Tony Pollard. If he's going to get those rushes as the clear backup and he's going to be used in a receiving capacity, like I think he should be like in Naheem Hines, then I think people are too low on Tony Pollard and he should be a stock up, but we don't know that right now. Benny Snell, between James Conner's comments and Pittsburgh saying they want to be a little bit more balanced, but they got Jalen Samuel there. I don't think a lot's changed with Benny Snell. Maybe slightly stock up. You know, there have been some reports that they really like his game. But I, I'm not buying that yet. I mean, Pittsburgh historically has been a one-back backfield until they more reports come out or until we see it in regular season games. You know, I'm not ready to, to, to kind of say – you know, Benny Snell is going to be a big part, but I like Jalen Samuel and that could be the difference. If they envision Jalen Samuel is just more of a role player, change of pace, receiving guy, then Benny Snell might have an opportunity to be the clear, you know, early down goal line runner to James Conner. And that would, you know, bump his value up a little bit as well. In terms of the Bengals guys, nothing really, you know, between Rodney Anderson, Travion Williams, I don't think any new news has came out there. Dexter Williams in Green Bay, nothing really has stood out in terms of his value. You know, Darwin Thompson's in Kansas City, you know, and, and those are most of the guys. Obviously, is you know, guys like Quadri Allison, Jordan Scarlett, Miles Gaskin, Travis Homer, Ty Johnson, Mike Weber. I don't think anything has dramatically changed in their landscape that has me to think their stock is up or down or, or any different than what I felt about these guys post-draft when I did my, you know, dynasty ranking show, talking to guys that have been on the air and, and these names have came up. I don't think anything's really took place that has really moved these guys, you know, up or down. So I think it's been pretty much neutral with all of these guys since draft weekend. So let's take this to the tight end position next. And then I'll end with the, the, uh, very suspect wide receiver in terms of what to make of it, which is still really challenging at the tight end position. I would probably say, let's start with a stock down and it's a guy I love, but it's impossible not to say earth Smith jr. And, and associate him with stock down. I love the player. I think on talent alone, I don't think he's that far off of the Hawkinson and no offense. I think he's the best route runner of, of all these tight ends in this class. I think he's the most versatile in terms of, I think he's a good enough blocker, even at his size, that he could still make an impact. I, I've liked the comparisons to Delaney Walker, you know, to other players out there. But they re-signed Kyle Rudolph to a four-year deal. I know four years doesn't mean he's going to be there for four years. But even if he's there for the next two, you know, I thought Irv Smith was going to get an opportunity this year. And I still think he will in two tight end sets and pass catching roll time, but it's not going to be fantasy viable. And then if not this year, I definitely thought by the end of this year and for next year that Kyle Rudolph would be on his way, that Irv Smith would get a real opportunity. And and I was kind of hoping that maybe he was going to be Kirk Cousins, like Jordan Reed type. So I do think it's definitely stocked down on Irv Smith Jr. In terms of the top guys, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, 
I'm not going to say stock up or stock down. So I'll say I don't think much has changed since draft weekend with my thoughts on these guys. I know some people right after the draft had these guys in the middle of round one or late round one in their rookie drafts. I dis- I respectfully disagreed with them. I understood why they had them there. Draft capital, a lot of question marks at, at some of the other positions. But I still think these guys deserve to be more early second round rookie picks. You know, listen, if it's a tight end premium league or a two tight end league, well, that's different. Then they bump up a little bit. But in traditional one tight end leagues, I think these guys are more early second round picks uh, is where I would feel comfortable with them. Obviously, we need to see Hawkinson in terms of what their plan is for how much they want to use him. He's a great blocker. So does he get asked to stay in line a lot and block? And if so, does that curtail his production offensively and his fantasy upside we don't know you know uh new offensive coordinator there you know they a lot of talk that they want to be a power running football team so if that's the case you know Hawkinson might have to live early on in his career with touchdowns and if he produces that seven eight touchdowns you know then maybe he doesn't have to put up big production in terms of yards and receptions and it'll be okay but that I think is you know I think he's got all the talent in the world. On talent alone, he was one of the five best, you know, most talented offensive players in this draft class, bar none. So I think he's got the upside to eventually be a tight end one and maybe even a high tight end one that, you know, maybe in the class of the guys that we look at, like Kittle and, and, you know, Kelsey and Ertz and those guys. But right now, I think it's a little bit of a waiting game. And even if he does hit, you know, he could still end up in the middle of that tight end one group. Maybe he's in the next tier of guys. Maybe he's in the Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, you know, group. You know, maybe he's in that group, the Hunter Henry group, who's the guy I compared him to. I said he was a more athletic version of Hunter Henry. So maybe eventually ends up in that kind of range of tight end value, which is great, but it's also a couple years down the line. It's not definitive so so again late first round early second round i think this is more appropriate value some people pushed him up a little bit higher i think in in two tight end settings or tight end premium i'd be more okay with that but if not i would probably say late first to early second round uh pick for hawkinson fan i think the same thing i have i have some i love the talent i love the athleticism i love the long-term upside i still have concerns about his route tree his route the development his route running as a whole so i don't think anything has happened with either of these guys that i can say stock up or stock down i think for what i thought of these guys i think it's been about neutral i don't think any reports have came out one way or the other jay sternberger i think probably can go right in that mix but you know i had him most people had the top two hawkinson and fan in their own tier and then Sternberger and Irv Smith, and I had Irv Smith higher than Sternberger. I think it's hard to keep it like that. So I know I've had a flip-flop. I refuse to move Irv Smith down a lot because I still really do believe in the talent a lot. So I I still have Sternberger and Irv Smith closer together. I always thought this was kind of going to be a, you know, a little bit of a redshirt year for Sternberger anyway. So I, I do think he'll he'll see his spots and he'll he'll get in there and maybe as the year goes on, he can he gets more and more of an opportunity, but they still got Jimmy Graham there. They got all those wide receivers from last year, a lot of targets going through Devontae Adams. So I think Sternberger is the guy who's about neutral, still very much intrigued with the talent, the pass catching ability, the landing spot with Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay offense. But I think it's been about neutral. 
that next tier of guys, Cahill Warren, Dawson Knox, and Josh Oliver. I think, you know, I think Josh Oliver, I think the reports have been kind of getting me a little bit more excited with him. So I think there's a role there for him maybe to develop a little bit quicker. Nick Foles targets the tight ends a lot. Jacksonville is a little bit, you know, in need of, of more pass catching weapons. So I think a little bit of stock up on Josh Oliver. You know, I still know if I'm drafting, I still have Kale Warren and Dustin Knox ahead of him just on long-term upside. But I do think since draft weekend of those three guys, I think there's been more positive buzz about Josh Oliver than Kale Warren and Dustin Knox. I think those would be about neutral. I don't think a lot, you know, has, has swayed my opinions from the reports, from beat writers, from what we've heard, you know, blurbs and stuff like that. I don't think much has swayed me with Kale Warren and Dustin Knox uh, to make me put Josh Oliver ahead of them. But the reports on Josh Oliver, you know, I think have been positive. So I do think, you know, I would probably say stock up on that. Uh, another stock up, I'll say Trayvon Wesco, because he's going to probably get an opportunity with Christopher Herndon suspended for the first couple games to maybe get more playing time right out of the gate. And if he impresses, you know, obviously, you know, I know Matt Wallman, huge fan of him. I liked Wesco's game. I thought it was a good compliment, good number two tight end there to Christopher Herndon. But it's hard not to say stock up on a guy who might get an opportunity earlier rather than later, you know, based on Herndon's off the field issues and suspension. So I'll say stock up on Trayvon Wesco. Uh, the rest of the guys, Foster Moreau in Oakland, I'd probably say a little bit of stock down. We've been hearing a lot more about Darren Waller you know, emerging in terms of a pass catching role. So I, I, I know I was under the impression that maybe Foster Moreau was a guy who could develop his passing game. He had some untapped potential there at LSU. We haven't heard about him too much yet in terms of that role at Oakland. I think Darren Waller is the guy getting more attention. So I'd say a little bit of stock down on Foster Moreau, but nothing dramatic. Uh, Drew Sample, Alzay Mack, you know, Caleb Wilson. I think the rest of those guys are about the same as, as what we thought about them, you know, earlier, you know, in the post-draft process as well. So not a lot going on there. Let's take this to the wide receivers to close out the night. And we'll start at the top. And again, maybe this is partially biased to what I thought about him before, but Nikhil Harry was a prospect. I think he was my number five or number six wide receiver. I liked him, didn't love him, comped him to a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, but thought he had a little bit more quickness and, and bursts if you got him like in the open field, like wide receiver screens and stuff like that. I thought he was a little bit of a blend of Alshon Jeffrey and at times, you know, earlier career, Demarius Thomas. But some people liked him a lot more than that and think he could be a guy like, on you know, you know, better to, you know, really impactful player, true number one, Des Bryant in his prime, you know, type player. I have some reservations about that separation quickness his route tree his route running. There have been some reports in new England. There were some reports about how excited they were that they got him and that they had big plans. But then there are also other reports out there talking about, you know, he had some struggles with picking up the playbook and that's not new, you know, you know, that's not something that is uncharted territory for a rookie receiver and the New England Patriots. So I would probably say a little stock down because I don't think it's definitive that, you know, he's just going to run away with a starting job there in New England and see a heavy target share right out of the gate. Like I think some people expect like eight, 10 touchdowns right out of the gate because replace, you know, Rob Gronkowski and all the targets that are up there. 
So I would say a little bit of stock down on Nikhil Harry. I know in my rookie big board, he's now down to number six for me. I talked about the four running backs and Kyler Murray ahead of him. He's still my number one wide receiver because a combination of draft capital and talent and opportunity, he's still there for me. You know, so that's where even with stock down, he's still my number one wide receiver. For me, I think there were, what we've heard about AJ Brown is stock up. You know, we've heard things like he's the best, the most talented offensive player on the field in in, in parts of minicamp that he looks really good. I think they're going to ask a lot of AJ Brown. I know people were really down on him in the landing spot because, you know, Marcus Mariota has kind of had a rough start to his career. People have been frustrated if they were Corey Davis owners, whether that's a part of Davis's talent or the scheme or Mariota or a combination of all three, most likely. I think people really pushed AJ Brown down their rookie board. I know I even did. Like I had him probably like fourth or fifth in terms of my rookie wide receiver rankings. And this is a guy who I had as my number one wide receiver pre-draft. I've moved him up with the more I've really looked at it. And again, this is what I was talking about before. AJ Brown's the perfect example. Immediate rankings after the draft is done are fun. It's great to take part in, in mock drafts. If you have real drafts, it's fun. But I do think the emotion of draft weekend tends at times to make us overvalue the the landing spot by getting fixated on what's there right now. Just because Marcus Mariota is there right now doesn't mean he's going to be there a year from now. Doesn't mean he's going to be there two years from now. So I, I got to thinking, and after talking to a bunch of people who've been on the show, you know, I love A.J. Brown, the player. I see a lot of Juju Smith-type player in him, and I think he's going to get an opportunity to play inside and outside. I think he's going to. I think he's the most talented wide receiver on in the tight ends receiving corps. And I know some people that's crazy talk, you know, who are really big fans of Corey Davis. I think A.J. Brown's a better player. If I compare to a college trim, I think A.J. Brown's better. I think A.J. Brown's going to have a better pro career. I, I do believe that. So I'm not going to push him down. Where I ha- I'm not going to keep him where I had him, and I'm going to move him up because I, I'm not going to overreact to current scheme and quarterback situation that could change. They're not locked in for the foreseeable future with Marcus Mariota and, and what they asked to do. I also think Marcus Mariota's skill set might blend well with A.J. Brown, more so than Corey Davis. He's a more refined player. Corey Davis, you know, came from a lower level of competition in terms of the opponents he faced. A.J. Brown did his work in the SEC. Ole Miss put a lot of responsibility on him. He was the primary guy that they built the offense around, not D.K. Metcalf. So I think his skill set might mesh well with Marcus Mariota, too. So A.J. Brown, stock up for me. Another guy, stock down a little bit, Debo Samuel. And I say stock down for a little bit for two reasons. I love Debo Samuel, a player. He was my number five, you know, rookie wide receiver pre-draft. I contemplated putting him ahead of Nikhil Harry in my initial dynasty rookie rankings. I had him at number two, but now I've moved him down to number three, and I could even see him falling a little bit further. The rationale behind that is all the reports about Dante Pettis have been positive. So if Dante Pettis emerges and takes that next step with George Kittle there, it kind of limits what Debo Samuel's upside is. And I never thought Debo Samuel was going to be a true number one type wide receiver in terms of his NFL production. And I always thought his fantasy value was more, you know, his was more capped as maybe as a wide receiver too. 
But if George Kittle is going to be an elite tight end, as I believe he will be, continue to be, and if Dante Pettis emerges and he's the guy that eventually that kind of becomes a wide receiver too, even if it's a low-end wide receiver too, well, then what does that leave for Debo Samuel? Could they really have two wide receiver twos and a top four tight end? Probably not. That doesn't seem practical. So then maybe best case scenario is a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and a top three tight end. Even that, it could happen. You'd have to have a pretty good offense. So I think Debo's upside right now is a little bit curtailed by the positive glowing reports about Dante Pettis. So I still like him. I still think his capability to eventually emerge to be a, a wide receiver too in terms of fantasy. But I think it, I think the process might be a little bit slower, and I kind of got to see how this whole offense comes together and see if there could be enough volume for all of that to happen. Kittle to be a star, Pettis to be have a breakout year, you know, and then if he does, you know, that – is kind of what people are going to expect about him moving forward. And then is there enough for Debo to also emerge? They took Debo higher than Pettis a year later. They targeted him. They wanted him. I like his game a lot. I said he's a, he's a blend of, you know, Jarvis Landry, you know, and DJ Moore, you know, and I, I, I can see that, you know, with, with Debo Samuel, but I think a little bit of stock down, but I'm talking, I moved him down one spot. Stock up Marquise Brown, and here's why. It sounds like while he hasn't done anything yet, reports seem to be that they think he's going to be ready for training camp. Now, be ready. Maybe they give him some rest days. Is he going to play in all the preseason games? I don't know. But if he's out there from from the get-go, I think people are still too down on Marquise Brown because they're down on Lamar Jackson right now. Someone's going to catch passes. Someone's going to be productive. I think people are devaluing Marquise Brown. And I love the conversation I had with Matt Harmon a couple episodes ago that this guy, if, if you are pigeonholing this prospect to as just a deep ball specialist, a Ted Ginn, a Deshaun Jackson, you know, a Marquise Goodwin, if that's what you think Marquise Brown is, you don't know Marquise Brown and you just watched a highlight reel or two of him and he was streaking down the field and catching 40 and 50 yard bombs all the time. And that's all you know of this guy. He was the best route runner in this class. He is a great route runner. He can win on all three levels of the field. And if he went to a different team and didn't have this injury, he would probably be near the top of most rookie big boards and would be probably the top wide receiver coming off the board. If he would have went to a Packers, if he would have went to, you know, pick another team, the Colts, whatever the case may be, but people are kind of pigeonholing Marquise Brown as a deep ball specialist only a la Ted Ginn. He's much more than that. And if you didn't listen to the podcast that Matt Harmon did with Marquise Brown himself, go listen to it. You know, listen to when I had Matt talk about Marquise Brown on this podcast a couple weeks ago as well, because Marquise Brown is a lot more than that. And if he's ready to go, at least physically, I think stock up on Marquise Brown. Mecole Harmon. I'm baffled by this guy because I don't know what to do with him. I was higher on him than most people pre-draft. He was my wide receiver nine. Then the draft happens, and I had him at like number two or number three, you know, fluctuating with 
AJ uh, with Debo Samuel uh, as my number two or number three after Nikhil Harry. And I, I said I could even understand someone putting him at number one in terms of the wide receivers. But since then, there's been a lot more Tyree Kill news. And we don't know about Tyree Kill right now. Is he going to be suspended at all? Is he going to be suspended six games? Is he going to be suspended eight games? The weekend of the draft, I got to be honest with you. I thought Tyreek Hill's NFL career was over. And I definitely thought his Kansas City Chiefs career was over. If that's not the case, I still very much like Nicole Hardman. I think he might start presenting a value where I had him, you know, in that six to eight range, but probably felt like I can get him in the eight to 10 range. Now I might be able to, I still have him in that. 9, 10, 11 range of my overall rookie big board. But I think he might not be a, he might be a guy now that you can get in the early part of the second round because people are a little concerned. I think, I don't think Tyree kills in, in KC for the long haul. I just don't think that. I don't think they're going to give him this mega contract that they were talking about during the course of the season. So maybe this year, Nicole Hartman gets an opportunity early on, but then Tyree kill comes back from suspension I'm still not, I'm still buying Nicole Hardman. But in terms of a media production and the pers- what people are feeling about him right now, I think he's been on a roller coaster. Uh, people were surprised he was taken early, but then they started really warming to the idea of him being an impactful player. So he went from second round, probably ADP, into the first round. But now I bet the Tyree Kill moves is pushing it back down. So he's been on a stock up down up i feel like it's been a little bit of a roller coaster i think right now it's hard to not say a little bit of stock down because of the tyree kill news that he's probably gonna be back in uniform at some point this year probably for the chiefs so i just think that in its own right impacts you know mccall Harmon's immediate opportunity and we don't really know if when how long you know tyree kills a part of the chiefs you know, that raises questions. If we knew that Tyree Kill was off the Chiefs for good, well, then Nicole Harmon is probably sitting there at number three for me on this list. And for me, I probably have him as like, you know, sixth or seventh, you know, top rookie prospect. So it's been an up and down roller coaster for Nicole Harmon. I kind of feel like maybe that roller coaster is not done yet as more news breaks uh, on Tyree Kill. Paris Campbell, I think. A little bit of stock down. Here's why. Because there's been some comments, you know, from, you know, the coach general manager that he might be a little bit about a year away to make a big impact. They have a lot of guys there. They have, you know, T.Y. Hilton. They went out and and got Devin Funches. They have some of the other receivers there still from last year. They have two very serviceable to good tight ends. You know, so Andrew Luck spreads it around. So I'll say a little bit of stock down on Paris Campbell just because of those comments by their general manager about, you know, he might be a year away. And he already was a guy that had some development to do in terms of getting an opportunity to show his ability to run more of a route tree, but he wasn't asked to do it a lot at Ohio State. So I'll say a little bit of stock down on Paris Campbell, but not a lot. DK Metcalf, I would say about neutral. I still think, you know, I have my question marks about him. But I do think there have been some positive reports about him and in terms of, you know, 
Seattle and and their excitement level with him. I I think there's still some concerns out there about his overall route running and route tree and route development. So I would say maybe neutral if I was going to say up or down one way or the other. I'd say slightly up. I haven't really moved him in my rankings. To me, he's a late round late round one rookie pick. A lot of upside there, but I can still see some time and development needed. JJ Arcega Whiteside. I'm going to say stock up on him. And I'll say stock up on him because there's a lot of people that think while his immediate opportunity is not great, people, the reports seem to be that he is looking good in practice and and stuff with the Eagles. A lot of people think that Alshon Jeffrey is potentially in his final year there and Arcega Whiteside could even have a role early this year, maybe in the red zone, you know, and potentially his role could expand as the year goes on and then maybe next year get a real big opportunity. So I would say stock up slightly. You know, I definitely, you know, would say it's somewhere either either neutral. It's not much different to stock up on our Seagull White side. The the Arizona guys, Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler, I'll say stock up because I'm saying stock up on everything associated with the Cardinals right now. I think in terms of the scheme, the quarterback situation, the playmakers, I think everybody is stock up. I think this is you want to buy stock in the Cardinals skill prospects now before the value goes up and maybe you're a year early, but that's okay. And maybe one of these guys, you know, don't get a real opportunity next year. Maybe, you know, both of them don't get a huge opportunity next year, but I, I do think, I do think Isabella is going to be productive this year. I think they have a role in place for him. I could see Butler coming along a little bit more slowly in terms of, their role for him, but I think Butler can get on the field this year. I think you're going to see them run more four wide sets than just about any other team ever in the history of the NFL. I think you're going to, in those four wide sets, you're going to see Kirk and Isabella inside. You're going to see Butler, you know, on the outside. And then, you know, Fitzgerald, I think could be a little bit inside and outside and Isabella can kick to the outside when Fitzgerald comes inside. Same thing with Christian Kirk. I think Isabella and Kirk are very versatile that they can play inside or outside. I think inside's their best, but they could play some outside. Obviously, late career, Larry Fitzgerald has been more of an inside guy. We don't know if that's the role that, you know, they envision for him now in this new offense, in this new scheme. But I think stock up on all the Cardinals players. I'm going to say a little stock down on Deontay Johnson, and I love the player a lot. But I, I don't maybe we were going to hear more positive buzz about Deontay Johnson. We heard a little bit when I talked about Williamson, you talked about them liking him. But, I mean, since then, the reports have been Dante Moncrief has looked good. He might be the number two wide receiver. There's been some positive reports, some not so on James Washington, but I, Deontay Johnson doesn't seem like a guy who's going to get a lot of opportunity early on this year. And I think right post draft, you know, I kind of think I just kind of pushed Dante Moncrief to the back burner and really didn't put much thought in Dante Moncrief. Uh, but it does seem like he's going to get an opportunity this year to be a factor in that offense. And if so, that obviously pushes Deontay Johnson further down the depth chart a little bit uh, in terms of seeing immediate opportunity. Besides that, I, I don't think a lot of other guys, it's much stock up, stock down. I think Terry McLaurin, stock neutral. Miles Boykin, stock neutral. Jalen Hurd was still kind of weighing it out to see what his eventual role could be in that San Francisco offense. So I would say he's about stock neutral. I will say one more stock up, and, and that guy is Darius Slayton of the Giants. 
And the reason why I say that is their third wide receiver spot is wide open. You know, right now, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard are, are locked in as the top two wide receivers. Obviously, you still have Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley. So we're talking about whoever the third wide receiver is. We are talking about probably the fifth guy on the pecking order. So it's not going to be a very fantasy viable spot this year. But if Darius Slayton was to win the third wide receiver spot this year, I think what it does set up a scenario is he's going to potentially use that to kind of catapult himself in the future to get a, maybe a legitimate opportunity to become fantasy viable. So he struggled early on the first rookie, you know, uh, Mini camp, he was dropping balls left and right. All the reports were that that was a major issue. But ever since then, he had some early drop issues. But he has fixed that up. He has been praised repeatedly by head coach uh, Pat Shermer of the Giants. He got the last full team uh, OTA or full team mini camp open to the public. He was getting some first team reps, which meant he was the third wide receiver on the field. And if that's the case and he pushes ahead, eventually Corey Coleman's and the Cody Latimer's and Benny Fowler's, he's a guy who really adds a different dynamic with his vertical deep speed. And Darius Lane was a guy that didn't really get an opportunity to show his whole skill set at Auburn, just the way that they ran that offense. So Darius Slayton is an intriguing guy who might get an opportunity sooner rather than later to at least be a guy in the rotation. But I think what he's already showing has stock up maybe for long-term. So when you're sitting there in late round three of a rookie draft and you're looking for a guy, maybe Darius Slayton is someone that piques your interest and just kind of get him, put him on your taxi squad, you know, late third round, early fourth round. So I would say a little bit stock up on him. No other wire receivers really jumping out at me in terms of, you know, much has changed uh, in the months here post-draft. So, guys, I hope you found this a worthwhile exercise. Obviously, it's kind of just looking at the landscape, and this isn't the last time I'll do this. I might do this again, you know, late summer, you know, or or mid-training camp, you know, in terms of this stock report of just the rookies, because I do think you got to listen to everything that's out there. You got to read, you got to listen to podcasts, you got to, you know, listen to what the beat writers are saying, you know, hear what the coaches are saying. I know some of it's coach speak, but you got to try and make sense of it all. And it does impact things uh, in terms of what we think of these guys. And I just, I, I know myself personally, I, I, I'm constantly tweaking and adjusting my rankings. And I do think sometimes, Right after the draft, like I mentioned earlier, it's very easy to overreact uh, to bad landing spots and stuff like that. And then you kind of got to decompress, get away from it, let some time pass, and maybe start hearing about what some of these other guys who are really talented players are doing in mini camps or OTAs to kind of remind you of just why you love the player, you know, in the pre-draft process and had him so high, you know. And I think sometimes then things kind of level itself out a little bit, you know, a month or two after the draft and less emotion and less overreacting to, uh, depth charts and quarterbacks and scheme uh, and things settle down. Now, listen, I think you got to react to everything. So sometimes you do got to react to those things and your initial reactions are the correct ones. But I do think sometimes we overreact when players are are really uh, 
distinctly different in terms of our talent, talent evaluations. I think it's easy sometimes to overreact and bump a guy up too much just because of a better landing spot. And I think it's easy to do that right after the draft. And then I find myself kind of correcting as, as time goes on. So again, hopefully you found this worthwhile, uh, upcoming guys will continue, uh, to try to schedule some guests uh, in the month of July. I know uh, I am going to do again, like last year, the stock reports by division where I kind of take a quick glance. Uh, we're talking 20 to 25 minute podcasts uh, where I go around each division, uh, NFC East, AFC East, et cetera, et cetera, all the way around, just giving my quick thoughts on, all players, you know, not just the rookies or the second year guys, but just my general overtake. It's kind of my opportunity to kind of talk about all the guys. Obviously, you know, here at Saturday, Sunday, we mostly focus just on the rookies and, and the guys, you know, from college as they transition to the NFL and then keep an eye on those rookies that, that first year. And then we kind of pass them along and don't really talk about them too much, except in the context of, you know, a team when, when a guy drafts, you know, gets drafted to a team. But we do follow everything. I know very passionate about all things football, not just college football, not just the draft. Uh, and I do think having your pulse on everything makes you a better fantasy player, makes you a better dynasty player, makes you a better Devi player. So in this downtime here in early July, I always like to kind of do a, a landscape look at all the divisions, all the skill players in the NFL and share my thoughts on them uh, from a from a dynasty and a fantasy perspective. And in some of it's just general thoughts on on players that could break out, you know, just, you know, in terms of their NFL careers as well. But a lot of that ties in directly to fantasy. Fantasy. So that will be in the works potentially starting next week, if not next week, the week after. Uh, and they'll be real short, 20 minute pods, uh, 25 at the at the at the peak amount of time. Uh, probably a bunch of them come out each week, whether it's three or four a week. And, and those will probably be for about two and a half weeks or so, uh, two to two and a half weeks. Uh, those eight episodes will come out. Uh like I said, we'll have some other guests and then probably late July, early August. If you're looking for us to turn the page to the 2020 class, that's when we'll do that. Uh, we'll probably have a watch list episode and then we'll really get into our nitty gritty, our bread and butter shows, which are those positional preview shows. And we'll do two 2020 quarterback shows previewing all the quarterbacks. Same thing with the running backs, wide receivers and tight ends. I know I've, I've created my master watch list. I've started taking notes on these guys and I started my film eval. So it is a, the next five, six, seven weeks. There'll be a lot of grinding on watching probably somewhere between 50 and 70 prospects uh, from the quarterbacks to the running backs, wide receivers and tight ends in preparation for the 2020 draft in preparation for writing the uh, initial uh, reports for the 2020 scouting notebook. Obviously uh, that'll be a part of the next wave of premium notebooks that'll be available, uh, you know, late August, early September around the, start of the next college football season so really looking forward to all of that uh if you have any questions please reach out to me on twitter uh please also guys wherever you listen to our podcast whether it's podbean whether it's apple whether it's google stitcher please get over rate re rate review and subscribe greatly appreciates us and greatly helps get our uh, name out there um and helps us continue to grow and do what we love to do here so on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.